Sustainability basically has never been more important. We know it's something that's really rising up, not only the consumer agenda, but the global agenda, business agendas across the world. The UN's Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, that were agreed in 2015, provide a really important foundation for all of that and set the goals to which we're working globally to improve global sustainability. They look at things like environmental protection, but also encompass things like sustainable ways of working. They're big goals to achieve, but we know they're something that companies, that businesses, that governments globally are focusing on. And it's something that's really important for us in the UK. I was carrying out some workshops recently with both consumer stakeholders and standards representatives in Nigeria and Pakistan, for example. And for both of those countries, sustainability was a really important part of their consumer agenda. So it really is a global issue. You are listening to the Consumers and Standards series from the BSI Education Podcast in association with CPIN, the Consumer and Public Interest Network. Today's episode is on consumers and sustainability. The voice you heard at the top of the episode was Kerry Stanaway, research consultant, editor and writer on consumer issues and a CPIN coordinator talking about sustainability as a global issue for consumers. We'll hear more from Kerry later and also from Mike Briggs from the consumer organisation Witch and Emily Carmichael and Stu Horn from the Energy Savings Trust. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs and you are listening to the second episode of the BSI Education Podcast Consumers and Standards Series, which is about consumers and sustainability. And we are delighted to be bringing it to you in association with our friends at CPIN, the Independent Consumer and Public Interest Network, which in 2021 is celebrating its 70th anniversary. The Consumer and Public Interest Network, or CPIN, empowers and protects consumers, making everyone's lives safer, fairer and better through effective consumer representation in British standards. Established in 1951, CPIN's trained volunteers participate in the development of standards to highlight key consumer issues, making sure that real-life problems are addressed and the risk of consumer harm is minimized. CPIN believes that all consumers have a right to safe and accessible goods and services, clear information, fair treatment, effective systems of redress and a healthy environment. CPIN representatives use the United Nations guidelines for consumer protection as the foundation of their work. They sit on hundreds of standards development committees speaking up for consumers. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash consumers. The consumer voice and standards is incredibly important. This is because standards are everywhere making consumers' lives safer, fairer and easier. Whether we're using a mobile phone or shopping online, standards behind the scenes are setting good practice for organisations that make goods and provide services. Now, BSI publishes around 2,500 standards every year, and it'd be pretty much impossible for CPIN to get involved in every single one. So instead, resources are focused on areas where CPIN can have the greatest positive impact for consumers based on five priorities, sustainability, consumer vulnerability, consumer safety, digital and services. Now, the aim of the BSI Education podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards, 
So this series looks at some of the stories for each of these five priorities. So for this episode, the CPIN priority is sustainability. It can be argued that sustainability has never been more important. Tackling climate change is on all nations' agendas with a global demand to minimize carbon emissions. But what does living sustainably mean for consumers? Sustainability is defined as meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And consumers are increasingly making sustainable choices, reducing, reusing and recycling. However, challenges include inconsistent or misleading labeling, a postcode lottery for recycling, and the inability to repair household appliances. Consumers need industry and government to implement sustainable practices along supply chains and to deliver appropriate products, tools, and advice. In this episode, we're going to explore some of the important domestic and international issues regarding sustainability and how standards play an essential role in enabling consumers to live sustainable lifestyles with three guests. As I've mentioned, Kerry Stanaway is a research consultant, editor and writer on consumer issues and also a CPIN coordinator. Emily Carmichael and Stu Horn are from the Energy Savings Trust. Emily is head of international collaboration and Stu is head of policy. But we start with Mike Briggs, Head of Sustainability for the Consumer Organisation, which I started by asking Mike, in his view, what does living sustainably actually mean for consumers? When it comes to products, which is which is heartland, our research really shows that reliability or, or longevity, how long a product actually lasts, is the absolutely key consideration for consumers. That's followed fairly closely by how much energy it uses and actually whether you can get it fixed if it actually breaks. Wider issues that we sometimes uh, load into sustainability as well, such as corporate social responsibility, are way down the list in uh, consumers' minds. We've also seen plenty of evidence that there's an increase in buying used with an eye on sustainability. And just generally, there's a, there's a keener awareness of making stuff last, making products last. But generally, if you ask consumers what they think uh, about uh, sustainability or what that actually means for them, most will come back and say plastic pollution and recycling. They're the kind of sort of key immediate topics that everyone reaches to. And that's kind of understandable. I mean, you've seen the impact of David Attenborough's Blue Planet. On that, on that issue. And it's actually a reflection of those everyday issues that consumers can see in front of them. You know, the everything wrapped in plastic in the supermarket and the, the plastic rubbish by the roadside. So, and, and it's a real problem. The UK is, is second only to the US in per capita plastic consumption. However, in terms of what the key activities which have the biggest impact on climate change, it's, it's not the plastic problem. It's how we heat our homes, the cars we drive, and the food we eat. And it's here where we quite often see more of a disconnect between consumer awareness and the scale of the issue. And we've got a good example about this. So, for instance, a third, a third of UK emissions comes from heating our homes. But when people are asked, you know, generally they're aware of climate change. Um, but a recent survey by Bayes revealed that only half were aware that gas boilers actually produced emissions. And this is it's kind of one example of the barriers that consumers face 
when they want to make more pro-environmental choices. So even though, and we, we see this quite often, even though we know there is a lot of concern over environmental issues and that concern is growing um, and there are many good intentions around that, they quite often don't translate into action. Now, that may well be for a mixture of practical and personal barriers. On the, on the practical front, you know, uh, a sustainable option might cost a lot. Electric vehicles cost a lot more than traditional petrol and diesel. There's inconvenience and time and hassle costs, um, the availability of options, um, and information, simply not having the right information or actually having too much information. There's, there's a special mention for greenwashing there um, when, when it comes to sustainability. But you get a lot of that response if you survey people. But beyond that, at a personal level, we, we also know there are, there are several issues which stop people making more sustainable choices. And it's, it's the capability, like the boilers example, simply not knowing that this is a problem or that overwhelming feeling of powerlessness or effectiveness um, in, in the face of all these issues. And one that people rarely admit to, but we know it's an issue, um, there's, there's values and behaviours, there's a resistance to change, and it's it's hard to break habits. You know, we all nip to the shops in the car, and we, we all value our two weeks holiday in the, in the south of Spain. So, Mike, why has which now got ahead of sustainability? Well... You think about those barriers that consumers face. There's, there's clearly, a, well, obviously, a clear role for which here, and, and that's to enable consumers to make more environmentally sustainable decisions. And we do that through our advice, through our features, through eco buys, through our ratings and insights. But also, where those decisions are, are difficult to make, it's to influence businesses and policymakers to enable sustainable consumerism. And we'll do that through kind of feeding into consultations like the, the recent one on eco-design. Before I get on to the real reasons why I'm head of sustainability, in reality, this isn't you know something that's just happened at which. In reality, we've been delving into sustainability for a good few years now. It's not really something new. So uh, last year, we participated in the UK Climate Assembly. We've, we've worked really closely with partners such as Consumers International on plastics and with the UN on sustainable food systems. If you look at which magazine over the last few years, we showcase many features and investigations on domestic recycling, supermarket packaging, plastic waste, uh, car emissions featured uh, highly, digital obsolescence and, and, and food waste. Going even further back, which testing has, has shaped many of the energy consumption standards that you see? And, and of course, we do have this, this really rich heritage in recommending products which are, are durable, last a long time, and are energy efficient. That's the kind of rich heritage part. But it was clear for us that, that which um, could play a more important role in this area. And it's clear we, we wanted to do more. And we this is in the face of, you know, an environmental crisis that we all face and, and, and the crucial role that consumers will pay will, will play in facing that environmental crisis in that pathway to net zero. So the, the Committee for Climate Change, they highlight that 40% um, of its scenarios towards uh, carbon reduction and net zero involve consumers 
over the next decade. Um, so the, there's a there's a big role for consumers to play. With all that in mind, um, six months ago now, we formally recognised that we we want to do this and we want to bring these strands together in a kind of sort of more holistic, strategic way to really bring sustainability to the core of which. So essentially, uh, that's where it gets my role. As head of sustainability, it's my responsibility to kind of really embed this into the heart of which, into all those different arms of which, and build that strategic framework where we can plan into the future so we can better advise consumers and better work to influence businesses and policymakers. Now, that's that kind of our external audience. But this is a really, really key point. We It's also about what we do as an organization. So we, we don't We'll have no credibility if we try and and uh, progress our sustainability insights and our influence if we don't, as an organisation ourselves, do our bit. And it's very important that we do our bit. So we really want to put our money where our mouth is. So since we kicked off this programme in the last six months, we carried a materiality assessment of our offices and made made changes the way we manage the buildings from waste to energy to to procurement. Um, but over the next year, we'll start to uh, build our own science-based targets with an ambition of becoming a net zero organisation. Hopefully, we'll get there, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll make a good effort of trying. So, Mike, what about the relationship between which, BSI, CPIN, and the role of standards in supporting consumers in this area? So that's a really good question. And increasingly, we know that standards, well, standards have always been important in all aspects of our work. So we look at kind of which testing and the role that standards have traditionally played there. We'll look at standards uh, within its safety, within testing, and we'll use those as the basis for our approach to assessing products services. Um, now, we might go beyond those standards in many cases uh, where we think um, that, that, that we need to go beyond. And obviously, we work with uh, BSI to sort of feedback on that. There'll be no different with uh, sustainability. Um, and we'll be building those into our sort of testing procedures as well. Did you know the circular economy? The circular economy moves away from the traditional take, make, dispose system. Instead, it minimises waste and retains the value of the materials used in the manufacture of products and the delivery of services for as long as possible, through increased reuse, repair and recycling. The British standard BS 8001, which captures the principles of circularity, demonstrates how standards can help organisations unlock the potential of cleaner growth. Now, Mike mentioned the three consumer activities that have the biggest impact on climate change the food we eat, the cars we drive, and how we heat our homes. It's this last point on heating our homes that I picked up with Stu Horn, Head of Policy for the Energy Savings Trust. But I started by asking him to tell me more about the role of the trust. Organisations like ourselves, we're really looking to um, influence government's policy, influence the things that regulators are doing. We, we, as the Energy Energy Saving Trust, we work with businesses um, to help them uh, adopt some more sustainable practice. Um, we help consumers um, uh, in Scotland and Wales um, to directly to help make improvements to their homes or to um, install low carbon heat. Um, and we work with organisations like uh, the BSI to improve standards. And specifically there, um, Stu, you talked about green homes. What's happening in the UK with regard to green homes? I suppose just to, it's, it's probably sensible to start with the why so why do we need green homes and um 
So government set this target of getting to net zero by 2050. That's really important because um, we want to try and um, ad address climate change. Climate change is really serious. Um, and so uh, the way that we heat our homes is a really significant part of the UK's contributions to, um, to, to greenhouse gases or to carbon emissions. So we need to make significant changes. Um, and there's a number of ways in which we need to do that. So we need to use less energy and we need to use energy in a more efficient way. Um, so that means making our homes more energy efficient so they take less energy to heat. It means switching to zero carbon heating sources um, and developing products and, and using products um, like fridges and washing machines that use less energy. Um, and it also means using energy in a, what we call a more flexible way. So that's using smart technology or having batteries in the home, which means basically that we can use electricity when it's cheap. And that means when it's efficient rather than when everybody's using it, when everybody puts a kettle on after EastEnders, um, uh, when it's more expensive and it puts more pressure on the grid. Um, and this is really a challenge because so many of our homes are actually really poor in terms of their thermal properties. Our housing stock is quite old. It goes back in some of the, you know, especially in the cities to, to the Victorian era. The government has a set of independent experts called the Committee on Climate Change. And they've really spelled out the challenge in terms of what we need to do to our homes. Uh, and there's two really key things. So we need to get to EPCC standard. That's... Um, that's the standard. You know, that's a rating of the warmth of people's houses. We need to get there. They think by 2035. And actually, Energy Saving Trust, we're pushing for that to happen sooner, because we think that the more that you're able to get to that stage, the the, the more you can tackle climate change up front. And we think it's achievable. And you do that by retrofitting homes, so installing energy efficiency um, measures and making homes warmer uh, and. Uh, and, and less leaky in, in terms of heat. Um, and then we also need to install low carbon heat. And the main technology that's going to be um, doing that work uh, in the UK, according to the Climate Change Committee, are, uh, are heat pumps and particularly air source heat pumps. And they say we need to install 600,000 of those a year. That's a huge amount, oh, sorry, 600,000 a year by 2028, which is a, which is a huge amount. So the, the pace and scale of this challenge is really only taking off, and that's going to get um, increasingly important over time. I mean, you mentioned there some some huge uh, changes underway, and obviously uh, the issue around decarbonisation and climate change is is, a, is an international issue, and, and standards are an international international game. We've talked about on the podcast in the past. So you've mentioned there green homes, and obviously that's of interest to consumers. I just wonder what about the role of standards domestically and how they are actually make you know supporting consumers to help make those green choices with regard to their homes. Well, standards are really important. They um, they play a really important role, both in terms of supporting consumers, help to make better choices, but also in driving markets to produce better products that are more energy efficient and um, and sort of will, will, will support and facilitate decarbonisation. So those two effects are are really valuable. But standards um, don't just cover products; they can also cover services as well, um, and they serve a lot of purposes. So they can prevent. Um, they can make products safer, so they can prevent serious injury. Um, they can help improve the environment through better sort of standards of the materials they're made of um, or the effects that they have. Um, in terms of services, they can help people avoid financial loss or they can uh, reduce barriers to access to services or, or make sure that um, things uh, are, and services are more um, uh are fairer um, and, um, and sort of reduce inconvenience and stress. And you know, some really good examples of things I've worked with in, in my career in the past, um, there's a BSI uh, inclusive service provision. Um, and this one goes back to 2010, um, but it, it, it 
um, companies that sign up to that uh, standard um, have uh, re requirements that they have to follow on identifying, responding to consumer vulnerability. Um, and it really drives um, companies um, and their boards in terms of making decisions in a way that's going to improve customer service. So think of it as, as the Energy Savings Trust then, and you, you've described there uh, some of the ways in which uh, standards can support those those consumer choices. Just thinking back to our green homes example, you know, where do you think standards might need to go go next to to you know support even more those those uh, you know consumers and making those green choices? Yeah, so it talks about there's a huge challenge ahead, and um, uh, the um, so it's the standards cover you know to cover products and services, and some of those really important standards are looking at building quality and about energy efficiency of products, and and those are important because. When people make changes to their homes, they want to be assured that they, they, uh, the products that they install um, or the, the standards to which uh, their homes are built to are the right ones. Um, and if, you, if you're going to make a change to your home, likelihood is you're gonna, only going to do that once or twice um, in, a, in a very sort of, uh, long period of time. So you want to you get it right and it's expensive to, to put it right if it goes wrong. So those standards are really important at, uh, at providing assurance. And that's one of the things that we're working with with BSI at the moment. So um, uh, we're members of a, uh, a working group which is looking at the retrofitting of uh, energy efficiency measures. Um, so in BSI language, it's called CB slash 401. Um, and also Energy Saving Trust is a member of the BSI Consumer Forum. Um, and this Consumer Forum is a really important body bringing together organisations from across um, the consumer protection landscape. So organisations like ourselves and charities, regulators and enforcement agencies. And what that does is it makes sure that the, uh, the BSI is looking at the right kind of standards, is looking at the right kind of things that go into those standards um, and, and sort of sets the... Uh, it really puts the consumer perspective at the heart of what BSI does. Another really important aspect of um, helping to decarbonise is, is thinking about the products that people will use in their homes. And you know, as as people replace products that have um, that have, that have broken or, or or you know just um, where, where people are buying new um, washes. Uh, <laughs> When people are buying new washing machines or fridges or, or freezers, um, it's a really important point where people can um, look at things that are more energy efficient. But it's also really important that standards um, underneath those sort of support that. So um, as we as we move towards 2050, those products are going to become smarter. They're going to start talking to your, uh, to a smart meter um, and helping you to do things like like. Uh, which we call flexibility, which is using energy when it's cheaper rather than more expensive. Um, and the way that they do that will require really strong standards to make sure that they are interoperable so that they work with each other, um, that they are um, secure from an IT point of view, um, and also that they're you know, generally safe to use in the home. Now, what's really interesting about this is that so this is a key part of the Prime Minister's 10-point plan. Um, uh, so they're really pushing for products that use uh, less energy resources and, and save carbon. Um, and, and now that Brexit's happened, um, the UK is looking to um, really push the envelope in this area. So it was doing lots of work with the EU before Brexit about smart uh, products. But now it's looking to match um, uh, the EU standards or go beyond. So there's a real there's a real role here for organisations like BSI in the UK to be a part of be a part of that. Plus organisations like Energy Saving Trust in terms of trying to to look for the products that work best for consumers and will help to decarbonise our homes. Did you know ethical claims? 
Consumers wishing to make sustainable choices require trustworthy and clear information. They may struggle to know what sustainable labelling really means and whether claims are genuine. The international standard ISO 17033 offers guidelines to organisations on making robust, credible and verifiable sustainability claims. Of course, sustainability is an important concern for consumers globally and not just in the UK. To find out more about the international context, I spoke to Emily Carmichael, also of the Energy Savings Trust. Now, Emily had a really interesting story to tell me about the transformation of her own home in order to try and live more sustainably. But I started by asking her about some of this international context, including the role of international standards. From our perspective, global environmental challenges are mounting and standards are becoming more and more international. So while standards alone might not change the world, they do help manage it. And they're essentially the rules that determine how products, services and process are, are, are realised they have a clear impact in terms of enabling consumers to live more sustainably. So uh, examples of international standards linked to making products more sustainable or boosting cleaner options are things like international standards that have enabled the uptake of alternative refrigerants, such as natural refrigerants present in cooling products that consumers use. Um, and I guess each and every one of us can help reduce our environmental footprint by it, it, it purchasing energy efficient appliances, um, buying less and more durable products. But to, to do that, to make sure, for example, that manufacturing processes of products help protect the planet, we do need environmentally ambitious standards. Internationally, um, Energy Saving Trust is doing a lot of work in the area of energy access. We are the co-secretariat for the Efficiency for Access Coalition, which is a global coalition working to promote high-performing appliances that enable access to clean energy for the world's poorest people. And we co-manage um, the Low Energy Inclusive Appliances Programme, which is an 18 million five-year research and innovation programme to accelerate the availability, affordability, efficiency and performance of a range of appliances that are particularly suited to often weak grid households and businesses. And that's funded by UK Aid with um, an additional uh, co-funding from IKEA Foundation. And, and this work's really exciting. We're seeing a huge amount of innovation happening in the off-grid appliance sector in sub-Saharan Africa and, and Southeast Asia um, and, and, and a leapfrogging effect. So it's, it's, it's not new, just as these markets have jumped directly to mobile phone technology and avoided landlines entirely. We're seeing the same happening first with lighting, with the direct adoption of LED lighting. And now the same leap in technology innovation for larger appliances like fans and refrigerators. And, and this works really exciting because off-grid appliances are paving the way for a step change in appliance energy efficiency that will be critical for reducing the overall energy intensity of the building sector and achieving global climate goals in the longer term. So, Emily, um, COP26 upcoming this year. I just wonder, you know, from a, the, these sort of large gatherings have become very emblematic, but obviously they, they play a hugely important role. What's, what do you think about events taking place like COP26? How important are they for sustainability? They're hugely important. Um, we, we've seen the impact that the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals have had on rallying countries to work towards common um, targets for addressing the climate emergency. And in particular, product standards have played a really important role in global agreements like this for reducing um, carbon emissions over the past 
many decades. Um, they've already delivered significant carbon savings and will continue to do so for many years into the future. Um, and so I think there is, you know, there needs to be some focus on tightening minimum energy performance standards. Uh, and there will be for product categories in established markets where significant additional savings potential exists over the next 10 years. So we're really, uh, you know, we, we see this COP26 and, and, and international events like this as very important in ag- agreeing ambitious targets at that global level. So, like I said, the focus is quite rightly going to be on trying to mitigate uh, the the, le- uh, the emissions that come from some of these established markets. But like I said, through our work in energy access in uh, in the global south, we're seeing a rapid adoption of distributed renewable energy systems, solar home systems and mini grids. And um, in these often weak grid settings around the world, this is, is propelling the growth of new markets for highly efficient appliances and equipment. Um, and, and these appliances, like I said earlier, offer a new path towards delivering the type of step change in appliance energy efficiency and performance improvements that are going to be critical to reducing um, the overall energy intensity of uh, of the building sector and achieving climate goals. But at present, the enabling environments for these emerging markets is non-existent, including, uh, you know, appropriate standards and labelling programmes. So we would like to see some focus on on um, supporting these markets to develop sustainably uh, in, in the future. Now, Emily, I spoke to Stu Horn. Uh, about a number of things. And we, we talked a lot about green homes as, as one issue. Now, I understand you've got your own personal story here about your own uh, house renovation and your own desire to live as sustainably as possible. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it's been a bit of a, uh, a labour of love over the past 10, 12 years. So we bought our house in 2009. It needed a, a full renovation. And um yeah, we've we've gone through since since then two two major renovations, um, and uh, uh, our overall goal, goal was to try and um, you know get away from fossil fuel dependency, and we've had to do that in a staged way. So we undertook a first renovation um, ten years ago that really sought to um, massively improve the insulation levels and energy performance of our home, and also install a very high efficiency um gas gas heating system and then um uh, we've recently now gone through a second renovation which was triggered by my disabled mother coming to live with us and the need to adapt our home to properly accommodate her um and and that gave us the opportunity to uh come completely off the gas grid and replace the heating system with a an air source heat pump um it's been a, a really big learning curve and, and uh, we're now back into the house and the heat pump's functioning very, very well and nicely. Uh, and, and we've got PV panels, but um, also kind of in going through that process went a bit beyond the, the sort of energy efficiency side of things and really started thinking about um, the, the, the embedded carbon in what we were doing. So we tried to use a lot of, um, reuse a lot of the materials in, in the house and also look for, uh, kind of materials that were the lowest carbon pro- possible. And I think from a standards perspective or from a, yeah, that, that was the area that was the most difficult because there's just very little consumer information out there on which products to choose and which are the lowest carbon in terms of, those kinds of construction materials so it involved a lot of research and looking at academic papers 
but you know we've ended up with things like sheep wool insulation and um you know using alternatives to concrete in the foundations but it was all very difficult and I think uh you know from someone who's been working in um sustainable energy for over 20 years uh it, it was hard enough for me and I know quite a lot well I like to think I know quite a lot um compared to the average consumer so it, it really made me kind of think that that is the next kind of area that really needs to be addressed to help consumers make the right choices when they're going through these major renovations or any kind of renovation when choosing, you know, materials to, to, to kind of make sure that they are making the right choices and not locking in carbon carbon emissions that, that are un, unnecessary um, when suitable alternatives and lower carbon alternatives exist. Did you know recycling? Tackling the global challenge of plastic waste requires imagination and innovation. And new ideas need independent standards to enable the development of trusted solutions by industry. PAS 9017 is a new British standard for biodegradable plastic, which cuts through the jungle of classifications that can leave customers confused. In this final section, we return to the person we heard right at the top of the episode, Kerry Stanaway research consultant, editor, and writer on consumer issues, and a CPIN coordinator. I wanted to know from Kerry more about CPIN and the work of CPIN representatives as regards sustainability. But I started by asking her about specific standards in this area. One of the things that's been recognised as an important part of achieving the sustainable development goals is consumer protection. And standards are a really important part of the consumer protection toolkit because they can kind of set guidelines and uh, requirements for responsible businesses who want to deliver good outcomes for consumers in relation to sustainability. So just to give you a few examples of um, where standards can play a really important role in improving consumer outcomes in relation to sustainability. Uh, There's ISO 21401, which specifies the environmental, social and economic requirements for implementing a sustainability management system in tourist accommodation, uh, for example. So um, through that, consumers can know that when they go on holiday, they're choosing a sustainable uh, place to go. And some standards, when you think about them, are really sort of very focused um, on sustainability. So there's a a top level committee on the circular economy that is focusing specifically on sustainability. And it's not just about products either. So um, there is a series of standards that relate to sustainable finance so that um, consumers who, for example, maybe want to choose a sustainable investment fund um, can do that. And the final one I wanted to mention is ISO 26000 on social responsibility, uh, which is a standard that kind of underpins um, many of the standards that we work on that relate to sustainability, because it really thinks uh, about how companies at a top level can operate in a socially responsible way. And that includes operating sustainably. So, Kerry, what about the role of CPIN and CPIN reps in this area? Well, Consumers International has published a report um, that identified the clear role that consumer protection has to play in meeting the SDGs, and standards are a huge part of that. Um, But in order for standards to be truly effective as a consumer protection tool, consumer representatives have to be involved in the development of standards. And that's really where 
CPIN and specifically CPIN reps come in. So our CPIN reps, as I know you've talked about in, in previous podcasts, are trained consumer representatives who are, exist effectively, um, from a standards perspective anyway, to represent the view of all consumers on those standards and make sure that nothing important um, gets missed out. Um, and that's essential from a sustainability perspective. And sustainability is one of um, CPIN's priority areas. So it's one of the things we really think about, um, all of our reps think about when they're involved in standards. Um, so if they're sitting on any standard or any committee um, that has a sustainability angle or could have a sustainability angle, that's one of the things that they'll think about. And it's, it's not always just the obvious um, standards that might have an obvious consumer angle. So um, plastic is the obvious thing that always springs to mind uh, when people think about sustainability and recyclability of plastic specifically. And, and it was the theme of World Consumer Rights Day uh, recently, um, plastic pollution and tackling plastic pollution. And um, that is a hugely important point to, to the extent that we ran a, a workshop with um, CPIN reps recently where we sort of did a bit of research into how they found uh, the issue of, of recycling. And even these very savvy consumers, our, our reps are very savvy consumers in their own right. They have to be to be able to represent all consumers highlighted a number of challenges they face around recycling that were echoed in uh, recent Consumers International research around uh, Consumer Rights Day. And Matthew, I know you talked about this um, in, a, in a previous podcast, so this, this won't be new to you. What that really highlighted is the fact that there are many consumer issues and even savvy consumers, as I say, face challenges around being sustainable. Um, so CPIN reps sitting on standards um, can make sure that the standards makers are aware of the real issues that are facing um, consumers and, you know, everything is considered. Uh, so just to give you a, a couple of examples of standards that um, CPIN reps are actively um, involved in at the moment, uh, one relates to uh, plastic pellets, a, a powers on plastic pellets, uh, which covers the use of plastic pellets in packaging and products. So effectively, what most of us will know that as is microplastics. Um, so it's thinking about how um, to ensure that there's no leakage into the environment of, of those microplastics during production stages, for example. Um, so clearly that's um, something which potentially has a huge detrimental impact on health if there are problems. So consumer representation there is essential. Um, and another, to give you another example, um, electric transport um, is another standard that's being worked on. And the important aspect of that is the batteries um, that are in electric cars and what happens at the end of a car's life. Um, and there are huge concerns about the challenges of disposal um, that might be facing users and manufacturers when the vehicle or battery is no longer wanted. What's going to happen with that battery? Um, can you change the battery? Should you be able to change the battery? Who should be able to change the battery, for example? What happens to it uh, when it's uh, taken out of the car, for example? Um, and is it safely disposed of? These are all things that really matter for consumers and why it's essential that the consumer voice is represented on these standards. 
My thanks to Kerry, Mike, Stu and Emily for their contributions to this episode. The next episode in this series will look at the issue of consumers and vulnerability. This is the view that goods and services should be fair and inclusive, and that organisations should provide the right support for those in vulnerable situations. In the episode, we'll look at how seeping and standards play a vital role in improving outcomes for vulnerable consumers. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. You just heard a stripped media production. 